You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Have you ever wanted to write a book? Did you write it? Or did it seem like something beyond your reach? Maybe you believe the story in your head that sounds like this. I'm not a great writer. I'm not even a good writer. How could I ever write a book? You're not the only one with that story. The good news is that you can change it if you really want to. And if there's a book waiting to come alive in you, you can write it and make it live. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest will show you how to discover, write, and publish the book that's living within you. She's an Amazon overall number one best-selling author, an International Book Award winner and recipient of the Beverly Hills Book Award for Best Sales Book. She's a successful entrepreneur and real estate investor who won the Top 20 Under 40 Award. Now she helps people build their brand and boost their business by writing, publishing, and selling top quality books. Perk up your ears and get excited to meet Julie Broad. Julie, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's have some fun. Where were you born and raised, Julie? (laughs) I was born in a tiny town called Bassano, which is in Alberta, Canada, right in between Calgary and Medicine Hat on the number one highway. You were born on the number one highway. <laughs> I was pretty well, actually officially. No, I wasn't born on the highway, but <laughs> but I grew up right. I grew up right beside the highway. Uh, my parents owned and ran a twenty-room motel, uh, wow. so that's that's where I lived until I graduated high school and went to college. Wow! And when you were a kid, who influenced you the most? My grandma, my grandma, uh, and I actually wrote, uh, I dedicated a chapter in my second book, The New Brand You, to her. Uh, she's still alive. We just celebrated 100 years with Grandma Broad. Whoa, um, wow, I know, wow. I'm pretty, 
pretty incredible. But uh, she is an incredible woman with this attitude that is phenomenal. And, and the story I shared in the book was, uh, you know, she, she was in the hospital and when she came out, she had to have these oxygen tanks. And she's very mobile. And she, she resented these oxygen tanks because it, it reduced her mobility. And so she said to the doctor, like, I need to get rid of these things. And the doctor said, ooh, at your age, you know, it's, uh, you know, well, here's this little machine try breathing into it, um, you know, try to build up your lung capacity and maybe we'll get you off these things. So she, it, she breathed into this contraption every 30 minutes, you know, just like, I'm going to get off these, these uh, oxygen tanks. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, she was able to get off the oxygen tanks. And her whole thing is, is if she can change it, she will. And if she can't, then she accepts it. And, and my favorite one-liner from her is whenever I say, have a great day, grandma, she always says, it's my own fault if I don't. Oh, I love that. That is wonderful. I mean, that's my belief, too. It's a story, right? It's a story in our heads. Mm -hmm. that, to feel that way when you're 100 years old, that is great. Yeah, wow, yeah, it's wow, phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> it's my own fault if I don't. And did you ever dream of becoming something special when you were a kid? Like, when I grow up, I want to be... <laughs> I had all kinds of dreams. I, I, it's hard to say one particular one, <laughs> but I always kind of, I, I always knew I wanted to run a business. I helped my parents with their business, uh, their motel, you know, from a very, very young age. So I always knew I wanted to, to create. I think that's ultimately what I always wanted to do was create. I wrote short stories. I would always kind of imagine things and, and, uh, you know, to me, business, building a business is really just creation. So, um, that was really what I dreamed of. And I guess, I guess I fulfilled that dream. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, so what attracted you to real estate? Oh, that was really a book. So yeah, this is this is one thing when when authors are always or potential people are always thinking of becoming an author. I always say, you know, you know, one book changed my life, and you know, your book could be that book for someone. Um, for me, the book was Rich Dad Poor Dad, and and really all it all it did was open up my mind to a whole new concept, which was, uh, you know, that you could get your money working hard for you. You didn't always have to work hard for your money. And and as I was about to go back to university to do my MBA, I read that book and I realized, you know, I should get the money that I have, you know, saved for university. I should get that working for me so that when I graduate from university, I'm not graduating with nothing but debt for a second time around. And, uh, you know, looking around at my options, real estate seemed like the greatest way for me to, uh, you know, get that money working for me on something that didn't require my attention every day and that's really what got me into real estate wow now you went into real estate as an investor correct yeah exactly it was it was 2001 was when I bought my first uh, actually bought two properties in 2001 and uh, did you accumulate a large portfolio yeah. So after that first, those first two properties, and, and I actually convinced my boyfriend at the time who later became my husband, which was a good thing. It worked out. <laughs> um, but I convinced my boyfriend at the time to join me. Uh, and so we were able to pool our resources and buy two. Uh, but we realized we really liked it and we could see a lot of potential for it. So in the following, uh, I think about 16 months after that, we bought another five and just kept going from there. And uh, there, we had years where we would buy a, a house every single month. So we, we bought a lot of property all across Canada over the years, but we've since uh, kind of reversed and we've sold some and we've moved to the United States. So we're not growing our portfolio anymore. Wow, that's exciting. Now, Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
powerful influence on a lot of people. Do you play the game cash flow? No, I never really got uh, heavy, heavy into it. In fact, it was funny because I, I, for you know, when I first read the book, I kind of thought this was a true story, but it's really a fictional story. It's based on true people, but it's not. You know, there is really no one rich dad, um, and so it's all kind of fictional. And so a lot of the stuff that proliferated from it, people, people really get really gung ho into it. But I'm very grateful for the book. But no, I never got too deep into any of it, his other stuff. <laughs> Do you know who one of the rich dads is or was? Well, some of the concepts are based on the teachings of Keith Cunningham. Yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah. Yep. So you know him, yeah? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've met I've met him. Yeah, um, I studied with uh, T. Harv Eker's organization, um, uh, Peak Potentials, and one of the great speakers he had teachers at one of his courses was Keith Cunningham. He's brilliant, brilliant man. But the game, uh, cash flow, is fascinating because you can't play it without getting an education. Oh, that's great. I mean, it, what's interesting about it is it's about when you're playing it, it's designed to get you, you'll get knots in your stomach because you'll have to make financial decisions. And even though you're playing with, you know, play money, you realize, wow, this decision could make or break me. And it teaches you real life lessons. That's why it's, you know, it's much more than a game. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So how did you eventually discover your current passion, which, you know, is yeah, what you do with uh, helping people to publish and relating to writing books? Yeah, it's it. It all started, I mean, I've, I've always loved writing, right from childhood. I always loved writing, but uh, people told me writers don't make money, so I went to business school instead. Um, but, uh, you know, so writing was always there for me uh, as something I like to do. And as we started investing in real estate and we made a lot of mistakes, I started writing a newsletter just for friends and family to kind of share these mistakes because we also were making money and I could see where where we were going right and where we were going wrong. So in, I think 2006 was when I started writing our newsletter. Uh, and uh, people, but without even having a website, I think we had 600 or 800 people on our newsletter list just from people sharing it. So that's kind of, you know, the start of the writing. Um, as I kept doing that and I got full time into real estate and started a real estate training and education company, my profile grew and I started to get into conversations with different publishing companies. And, uh, and at one point I was pretty deep with it with Wiley Canada and we went back and forth and my initial idea, they said, no, you know, that's, that's not a great idea. There's already a lot of what they were calling a generic real estate investing book on the market. But they said, you know, how about this other idea? And so they worked with me for two months on this book proposal. So I figured a book deal was, was imminent. You know, the next email was going to be the book deal. But the next email was actually, it actually said that, uh, you know, Julie, the marketing department feels you don't have a strong enough platform to sell books. And they rejected me. They, after all this time going back and forth, they, in the end, they said, nah, we don't think you're going to be able to sell books. And, and the funny thing with traditional publishers is, is, uh, you know, they, they keep, you know, 80% of the money made on every book, if not more. And yet they expect you to do all the work to sell the books. <laughs> so if you don't look like you're going to be able to sell a whole bunch of books, they're not going to publish your book. So it's kind of a funny thing. They, the whole system's a little, a little backwards, but that was kind of my first 
taste of it. And I was, I was devastated because I really, I, at that point, I wanted to write a book and I thought this book deal was the best way to do it. But, oh, go ahead. What was the book that they had helped you to come up with that they rejected? They well, they didn't reject that book. They they were keen on that book. It was me. They said they <laughs> they didn't think that I was going to be able to sell books. Was actually the rejection in the end. <laughs> mm. So yeah, that's the funny part. the The rejection was not the book idea. The rejection was me. <laughs> they rejected me. So I you know I was that was a pretty big kick. You know I I took that one quite personally and quite to heart. So even when my husband said, "Well, that's okay. Now you can actually write the book that you wanted to write, and you can just self publish." You know, you know, I just thought, well, what's it going to matter? Nobody's going to buy it. Uh, so it took me a little while. You know, that was 2011. And, and it took me a while to recoup and actually sit down and write the book that I wanted to write and write the book that I knew really needed to be written. And the book that I ended up writing was called More Than Cashflow. And it was the, tr you know, it was real stories. It wasn't how to get rich in real estate. It was, you know, here's some things you need to know because you may not want to invest in real estate. And I talk about our manslaughter in a crack house story, which is from Niagara Falls, Ontario. And, you know, all these kind of crazy stories that happened to us and largely were preventable, but just kind of, you know, stuff that nobody else was talking about and, and shared that and ended up publishing it, self-publishing it. And it went to number one overall on Amazon, hanging out with Dan Brown and the Game of Thrones series. It was selling for $22 and 97 cents at the time. Uh, you know, it, it was just one of those things that was, it was, would have been wonderful no matter what, but to be able to go to number one after being rejected by Wiley, uh, because they didn't think I could sell books and then doing better than any other real estate book they've published in Canada. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> what I love about what you just shared, a lot of things, but, um, do you know the name Alex Mendozian? Yes. Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, actually, he has a wonderful video about um, uh, publishing books because, you know, he's right that it's not the book, it's you, and it's all about um, how to repurpose, etc. You, you know, your material. But that being said, Alex, in some of his live trainings, I went to one of his live trainings, he says, if you have a backpack moment, raise your hand. And that means you hear something that you could easily get up now, put your backpack on and leave, and you would have gotten your money's worth from the entire event. And I think that for our listeners right now, Julie has delivered at least one backpack moment. And one thing that you said I loved was that when you got rejected, here's the story in your head. Why should I bother to self-publish because no one will read it? And many people have had that thought, and that was the final thought. They never wrote the book. So had you not, then it would have been true. No one would have read it. But then you went ahead and did it. Lo and behold, it becomes number one overall on Amazon. And you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, yes? Yes, of course. Well, Tim Ferriss you know, became famous with a book called The Four-Hour Work Week. And do you know how many times it was rejected? Oh, I can't remember, but I did read that recently, like 56 or something. And I think 27, but that's enough. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's lots. <laughs> 27 rejections. He could have stopped at the third one and said, mm -hmm. ah, I guess it's no good. So, guys, 
It's a story in your head. If you say no, it's not possible, you're right. <laughs> and if you say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because I know it's possible, you're right again. So which way do you want to be right? Love it. What and I, is, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to share, you know, you just mentioned Alex Mendozian and one of my favorite pieces of advice that I used to go back to all the time came from him as well. And he stood on stage and he and he said okay guys like you're you're getting out it was a you know an on starting an online business type event and he said okay he said this is how far and how hard it's going to be to get to that first dollar and he like tracked like all the way across the stage he's like walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and he's like this is how hard it's going to be to make that first dollar and then he said now once you've made that first dollar this is how hard it's going to be to get to a million and he took like five steps and and so his whole point was, you know, the hardest part is getting started, getting that first dollar. And I always held on to that. And it, it was true. I mean, I don't think it was quite relative in that it was, you know, only five steps to get to the million mark. But it was substantially easier once you've started making money to actually get to those million dollar moments uh, than, than I thought. And it was so much harder to actually get those first dollars in the door. So that was always something I hung on to and, and would picture him like chugging across the stage going, okay, I just got to get to that first dollar. <laughs> I love it. Which course was that that you took? Uh, that was at uh, Early to Rise had a, a, I can't remember what they called it. It was years ago now. Um, it was like a, a internet marketing thing, a seminar. But I, yeah, it's, it was it was probably 2008 or 2009 that I did that. Was was T. Harvecker involved? Because they started something like that together. Uh, no, no. It, this was all by Michael Masterson. And I didn't, I, I knew of T. Harvecker, but I have never been to anything um, from him. I know I love another Mendozian comment um, or lesson. Don't let perfect become the enemy of good. <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. Yes, indeed. Great stuff. So did you have resistance to overcome to change your professional identity or not? <laughs> Well, I've changed my identity multiple times, and it it is it is always difficult. The good news is, once you've done it, once you know you can reinvent yourself again and again, and it gets easier. Uh, and the big thing is, so yes, there's there's always self doubt. There's always self doubt every time you venture into something new. You kind of wonder, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Are people going to accept me? Or you know, are people going to think I'm good enough? Um, but the part that I've really, as I've ventured into helping people write and publish and sell books, which was a complete, you know, completely different world than real estate education and training, and people knew me across Canada as a real estate investor and somebody who can help you invest in real estate, um, but I built a strong personal brand as Julie brought. And so the interesting part that I found is the stronger my brand, the easier it is to change in some regards. It's, it's hard for some people to see you as something other than real estate. But once people trust you and know you and like you, they're likely to trust you and know you and like you in any space. And so when I opened the doors for book launchers and I said, hey, I'm moving into the space around publishing and, you know, the success of my my 
previous two books certainly helped, um, but people knew me and they said, you know what, she's, she, she gets things done, she, you know, she lives up to her promises. And so my first 10 authors that signed on to work with me at Book Launchers were people who knew me as a real estate investor. So it does get easier and if you build a strong personal brand around yourself, then you can change uh, to whatever it is you want to do next and people will believe in you because they believe in you. That's a great lesson. That's wonderful. Yes. What's the difference between uh, writing a best-selling book and um, a very well-written one? You know what? I think I, I see this quite often, actually, is is people are writing a book that makes them feel good, not a book that someone needs to read. And at the end of the day, people aren't really interested in you. They're interested in what they can learn from you. So you really have to write a book that is clear on who is this for? What are they going to get from this? And, and really work on, we call it a hook. You know, make sure that book has a fantastic hook that's going to create curiosity and have people go, I need to read this right now because a lot of people will say, yeah, that, that I'm going to put that book on my list. Oh, I want to read that book, but they never do. So you have to have that thing that makes people feel like they have to read it right now. And I find that a lot of people write a book. Uh, people always tell them, oh, hey, you should write a book. And they take that to mean that people want to hear all about their stories and their journey. And while people do, what they really want is what they can get out of it. What can they learn from it? What can they avoid? What can they, you know, how can they make more money from learning from you? And so you really have to drill down to that. And that's the difference between a best-selling book and just a great book that or a well-written book, as you put it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So they're interested in the journey. If you apply it and show them how it can relate to their lives and their particular, you know, struggle with success. Exactly. And it's, I'm working actually. So the first step that people, when they come and work with us, I have everybody work with a writing coach to define themselves and to, to figure out what this hook is. Uh, and then if you choose to write your book yourself versus work with one of our ghostwriters, uh, you know, the, the ghostwriter or the the writing coach will read your work as you go. And, and so I'm working with the writing coach for this, my third book right now. And I've written two books before and I've never worked with a writing coach before. And he was reading, he was reading my chapter. And I'm all proud, like, yeah, this is going to be the best thing you've read because I've actually written books before. <laughs> and he comes back to me and he says, he says, yeah, he says, you know, this was a really good story. But he said, what was the point of making someone read it? <laughs> wow. And it was a perfect example of a story that made me feel good to tell it. But it didn't have anything of real value to my reader, maybe a little bit of entertainment, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that they're going to go, yes, my, it wasn't a backpack moment uh, to take what you've just shared. You know, it wasn't a backpack moment. Mm. Bringing up T. Harv again, because T. Harv has a, you know, number one New York Times bestseller. I think it's still very popular, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Mm -hmm. And I remember in one of his seminars when he held up the book and he said, you see, this is a bestseller. And then he paused and he said, you noticed I didn't say best written. He said, it's not. It's a bestseller. There's a difference. And then he spent the next two or three hours outlining the strategy that he used to put that book onto the number one slot in the New York Times. And it was like a war plan. I mean, it, and it has little to do with if it's, you know, 
like the work of a great author. You know, you go, oh my God, this person's use of language is, no, has nothing to do with that. And certainly his books talk directly to things that people really want and need. You know? Exactly. Yep. That's yeah, exactly it. It's incredible. It's so who should write a book? Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think anybody can write a book, but who should write a book is someone who, uh, there's two, there's two ways to answer this question. So the person who knows that they have value to offer somebody, that they can help even one person with their message, that person probably should write a book. But if you can take that to the next step and also realize that you have a business goal or some other goal that you can achieve from writing this book, then that's a great combination. So you've got value that people are going to benefit from. You can help people with your expertise and your knowledge. And you can use that book to a plat move up to a new platform. And it was one of the interesting things with, with my book was before the book, I had trouble getting on TV for media interviews with a book. They never read the book, but you have a book. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, she's a real estate expert. She wrote a book. And they put you on their, their news shows. And it starts to open doors that weren't open before. So if that kind of exposure and the kind of opportunities that come with being the recognized expert in your space, if those are things that you want, then you will greatly benefit from writing a book. Mm. Um, but I also think at the end of the day, if you don't have anything of value to offer someone, then a book isn't a good thing to do. So you got to make sure you have the value to offer too. That is wonderful too. Wonderful advice. Should people self-publish? <laughs> I, I, Almost everyone should self-publish over going with a traditional publisher, in my mind. I'm very biased because I was turned down by the publisher uh, and I self-published. But it, it, So there's a couple things to realize is that if you go through a traditional publisher, they own your content and they'll control a lot of the decisions. And I actually have two friends... Who, one who bought his book back because the publisher was really restricting what he could do with the content. He wanted to roll out courses. He wanted to do all these things and they owned the content and refused. Another friend, he was in the real estate space, wrote a, a book on investing in, in, uh, investing in American real estate as a Canadian and and he left the real estate space after a couple years and Wiley went and republished the book under somebody else's name, word for word, his book. No. Under somebody yeah. And they can, they have the right to do that. Oh, come on. And, and it's morally gross that they can do that. But you know, they said, Hey, you're not in the real estate space anymore. We want somebody who's in the real estate space. So they put someone else's name on the cover and sold the book. But, but wait, 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 what about copyright? I mean, isn't that like a, illegal? They own it. That's the thing. The traditional publisher owns the content. It has nothing to do with the author. And, oh. and a, lot, a lot of people don't realize that. And this is, you know, they, they drive what you can and can't do. So that is, for me, enough reason for me to always self-publish because I want to own my content. I want to control the decisions around it. And, and even looking at the traditional publishing deal that I almost, you know, that I was getting close to getting, uh, the book that they were going to have me write was some real estate investing for couples book. It was nothing I was excited about. The book I wanted to write, the one that went to number one overall, they said was boring or not boring, was too generic and wasn't going to sell. But yet 
you know, I knew it was a message and had stories that people were going to want to hear. And almost five years later, people are still buying that book like crazy. So yeah, it's funny, the decisions that you will be forced into uh, because of a traditional publisher. Plus, like I said at the beginning, they're going to pay you, say, 80 cents a book, whereas if you self-publish, you can make six or seven dollars a book, and they're still going to rely on you almost 100% to market that book. Mm. Wow, this is quite an eye-opener. And so a lot of people think that the traditional publisher is, you know, they need it to get distribution. But you, you know, my book is in chapters and in indigo all across Canada. So you can get bookstore distribution. But my question to you would be, do you really care? I mean, 80, even with bookstore distribution, 86% of my sales are coming online. Uh, and it's just increasing. You know, the bookstore sales are, are not increasing. It's it, everybody's buying books either on Amazon or from their bookstores online. So, and you can get online distribution everywhere very easily as a self-published author. Well, especially now that if you have a prime membership with Amazon, you can get your book the next day for free delivery or sometimes even the same day. I so, was just going to say, yeah, we can get same day delivery. <laughs> I know, I know. So yeah, that is wonderful. So what are the challenges of self-publishing? Yeah, the biggest thing is that it really is a business and you you have to have a lot of professionals. People, you, it's easier than ever to self-publish a book, but that's a problem because that means it's easier than ever to put out garbage. And because you're doing this to grow your business, build your brand, get a message out, you really don't want to do it in a cheap shortcut way. But if you want to create a great book that can sit on the bookstores shelves and, and, you know, rank well in Amazon, that requires a lot of people. And so it's like, you know, when you start a business and now you need a lawyer and an accountant and a bookkeeper and, you know, all these pieces, it's the same with a book. You know, you need editors, you need layout, you need cover, you, you have to figure out how am I going to get my distribution and how am I going to get my ISBN number and all these pieces. So the challenge is that it's a gigantic pain in the butt to organize all those pieces and project manage your book as well as write it. So and that's really why I started Book Launchers was because when I did this uh, with my two books, not only did I make a couple of mistakes that cost me a lot of money, uh, I also, you know, wasted hundreds of hours figuring out all the steps and hiring all the people. And I realized that I didn't, you know, I wanted to have a team. People were always asking me for help and I just would be explaining to them, okay, here's how you go hire this person. Here's how you go hire this person. And I just kept thinking this would be so much easier if I could just say, here's my team, work with them. And uh, so that's why I did it. That's why I started Book launchers was so that you don't have to go out and hire seven different people to produce your book. You work with us and we've got the professionals and we get it all done for you. Wow. Should people aim, this may sound obvious, but I'll ask it anyway. Should people aim at becoming Amazon bestsellers and or New York Times bestsellers? <laughs> it's a great question, actually, because I, I think a lot of people just think it's it's great. Now, one thing, New York Times bestseller is tricky for a self-published author because it's not, uh, there's some politics involved with New York Times bestseller and there's some question as, as to whether self-published books can actually rank on that list. So there's questions around it. Um, it's a great, a phenomenal goal, but you're going to have to sell at least 100,000 copies of your book, which is a lot. Um, 
but uh, Amazon bestseller is an interesting conversation and and you know anybody can hit Amazon bestseller status which is why there's so many companies that will promise you they'll guarantee you Amazon bestseller status the problem with it is that to get to that Amazon bestseller status there's they're you know to guarantee it they're they're doing these gimmicks and if you get there in a non-legitimate way you're messing up the Amazon algorithms and I actually I gave a talk just recently and and showed a picture of a book and I said and on uh, the also bots in Amazon you know how underneath it always shows you know if somebody buys your book you know here's the also bots and that's the best promotion you can ask for right because Amazon showing your book to people who have bought books similar to yours. But if you game the system and get a bunch of random people who buy your book and they're not your ideal reader, you've messed up those Amazon algorithms. And, and the example that I've shown to people is, is my friend who wrote a personal finance book. Underneath his book in the also bought category, there's a relationship book, a curing cancer book, a law of attraction book. There's nothing personal finance. So And his book isn't selling well on Amazon. Amazon and it's because it's he's messed up the algorithms with this Amazon bestseller so I personally wouldn't pursue bestseller status I would pursue your overall business goal and if you do that and you create a great book with a phenomenal hook that people want to read and they feel like they have to read right now you're gonna hit bestseller status anyway and then you'll have the right algorithms for it to just build momentum and grow from there hmm just curious how did this happen to your friend like what led him astray he he bought into one of these programs where uh, they promised that you'll become an Amazon bestseller if you publish with them and so what happened was they all got together in this group I think it was like nine weeks to publish your book and at the end of the nine weeks everybody uh, promises to buy each other's book and so they all changed they set their price to 99 cents and everybody in their group buys each other's books so you spend fifty dollars buying you know everybody in your group's book and everybody logs in in the same day and buys each other's books Books. And so what happens is you've got 50 random authors buying each other's books and that's why you end up with relationship books and cancer books and all these different books because they're not buying your book because they want to know about personal finance. They're buying your book so they can make you a bestseller so you can post it on Facebook and everybody can cheer for a day and vice versa. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. And how much do, do these scam courses cost? Uh, they vary because some of them are, you know, this this one in particular that he did, I believe he paid $20,000 to be a part of that group. Oh, whoa. Mm -hmm. As oh. part of it, they did coach him through the writing and they, you know, helped him figure out, you know, navigate some of the things to get published. Um, and I think they ran it through one round of editing for him as well. So there's other things involved. But the big promise is that they're going to get you to Amazon bestseller status. And I know um, I actually have a friend who who told me his his buddy paid another company $5,000 to just just for the Amazon bestseller status, which is ridiculous ridiculous absolutely ridiculous I was floored but um, you know he got his little orange number one bestseller sticker or they're not sticker but you know logo that he can post like I said you post it on Facebook and you tell everybody you're an Amazon number one bestseller but it really is losing meaning because people realize it can be gamed it's not legitimate and frankly you know if all it takes is 50 books to get that number one bestseller status what have you really done for yourself and for your business not a lot it's all it takes 50 books on Amazon 
Well, you have to choose the right category. Um, you know, you won't be number one in business. You know, number one in business will take several thousand books to be sold. But Amazon updates every hour. So you, you know, and nobody knows exactly how the algorithms work. But the reality is if you're in a sub, sub, sub category, which is what these people are, you know, when they say they're number one bestseller, it's usually a sub, sub, sub category, you know, like business. And then you've got self-help and then you've got um, relationships and then you've got, you know, toxic relationships, you know, there's like all these categories underneath. So usually it's a sub, sub, sub category that they're hitting number one in. And yeah, sales volume of 50 or less is, is, you know, more than enough to hit number one in a sub, sub, sub category. Hmm. You know, as you talk, um, it makes me more and more aware. I love the digital age. Amazon is very much part of that. It's at the forefront. But part of being in this new world is that we're in the wild west. I mean, a lot of these things that you're describing, you know, people get taken by snake oil salespeople, you know, and that is like the Wild West, new frontiers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like the Wild West of the, you know, get rich quick in the real estate age, which I was, you know, in the 2006 kind of era when I was investing, there was a lot of that going on too, which was really what drove me to to share. And so a lot of what I share now on my, my YouTube channel is just letting people know about these things because people just, they don't, they're not aware. So they, they think, Oh, $5,000 and I can be a bestseller. Fantastic. But what is that bestseller status doing for you? That's the bigger question. Mm -hmm. I think you've already answered this next question, which was what kind of book should the person ask themselves? What kind of book will make me the most money? And I think, you, your answer is no, because you, you would describe in uh, what they really should be focusing on is writing something that is related to and advances their particular business and delivers value to people. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are asking me, okay, how many copies am I going to have to sell to break even? And I actually just posted a video on this on my booklaunchers.tv, which is my my YouTube, my booklaunchers YouTube channel, which is, and I, I was saying to people, how to break even is the wrong question. Let's talk about how you're going to 10x your investment in a book and figure that out. Because, you know, if you're always focused on breaking even, you know, that's probably the best you'll ever do is break even. And if you write a book that can 10x your investment, then you're going to, you're going to do so much better, but you're also going to focus on things like, okay, how can I use this book to get speaking engagements? How can I use this book to get clients to pay me an extra zero on every check? You know, those kind of things. And if you write that kind of a book, your book's going to do phenomenally for you. And, and uh, the book that, I, you know, More Than Cashflow, I actually did make a lot of money selling books, uh, but I also raised, it also helped us raise millions of dollars for buying real estate deals and our workshops. About six to eight months after the book came out, we started to feel, find it, you know, find that our workshops and our masterminds were filling months in advance. Um, we were having no problems with, with marketing anything we were offering anymore. Uh, and that's how you 10x a book investment. I love it. You must know Dan Kennedy, yes? Yes, of course. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was thinking, not Dan Kennedy. Oh, Dan Sullivan. Dan, oh, um, he, uh, yes, he has that, um, strategic, oh, there strate you go. Strategic, yeah, strategic coach. Or, coach that's it yes yeah my my old boss um at the company i used to work for in toronto called it was real net uh, was what it was called he was big into strategic coach well the reason i brought him up i just watched the brilliant video podcast with him where the topic was 
why it's better or for your brain actually to think 10x rather than 2x and uh i'll send you a link to it after it's fascinating yeah that'd be great thank you absolutely fascinating of course strategic coach i think one of their head offices is here in toronto yes it is yeah yeah this is great stuff so now talk about selling hair growth products to bald men (laughs) (laughs) i love it you checked out my book <laughs> so, is <laughs> a subject that's near and dear to your heart, perhaps? <laughs> well, actually, I don't want hair growth products because I shave my head. You see, so <laughs> well, and the, that's actually that's the, funny, the, and that's the, actually the point of the story. <laughs> well, you know, there, there was a time when I wanted them, but not anymore. So, go ahead, tell us about it. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, this is this is one of the things I talk about in my second book, The New Brand You, which is you know, really about selling when you're not comfortable selling. And I, I tell the story of, of this person who spent a whole bunch of time talking to my dad, um, who's a bald man, about hair growth products. And he, you know, he's retired, so he has nothing but time. He was totally happy to let her talk to him for 45 minutes <laughs> about this and ask questions and all these things. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's been married for, I don't know, 46 years, I think. And uh, and he's perfectly fine with his bald head. You know, he has zero interest in actually getting hair. You know, had he been in his 30s, maybe he would have been the target market. And that's the point of the story is, is before you sell to someone, ask them a bunch of questions and figure out if they're actually a good fit for what you have to offer. Because so many people are just out there pushing and pushing and pushing. And they haven't actually um, even identified who their ideal person is because, you know, just because you have you're selling hair growth products doesn't mean a bald man is your ideal person. Your ideal person is someone who is perhaps starting to go bald and is upset about it. They want to do something about it. They, they care about their hairline. They care about their appearance in, in, in those ways. And so that's your ideal person. And then you want to craft the questions that you're going to ask around it to identify if somebody is your ideal person or not. And if you do that, you're going to find that people are actually really anxious to work with you and probably you don't have to sell them at all because they're going to go, oh my goodness, you can help me with this problem? Yes, yeah, tell me what you do. Here's my credit card. How fast can you how fast can you deliver? <laughs> I love it. That's great. What mistakes did you make, Julie, that you can help aspiring writers and booksellers avoid? Oh goodness. Do we have a few hours? <laughs> yeah, if we do a few more if we do a few more episodes. Uh, you know, episodes, yeah, we can do a series. We'll do yeah. the the book launch uh, book launchers uh, like we're gonna have to get a good hook for this so it has dramatic tension we need a cliffhanger at the end of this one (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah i mean i made i made quite a few mistakes probably the two if i'll pick two to be efficient so we don't have to have a cliffhanger here the first mistake i made was not having a great outline for either of my books and so i wasted a lot of words i wasted a lot of time just kind of writing a book without having a clear plan it worked out in the end, but I had to spend a lot of money on great editing um, to fix it. And I also wrote a lot of things that never, ever went into either book. So to save money and to save time, I highly recommend you spend time creating a fantastic outline so that you have a, it's like your roadmap for writing your book. That's the first thing. 
Um, I have an outline for this third book and I can't believe how fast I'm able to write when I have 20 minutes to sit down and write. I know exactly what to write about. The other thing I made, the mistake I made is kind of a technical mistake, but um, when I was doing my book tour uh, and getting bookstores to order my book, I didn't realize that I needed to make them returnable. And this is just a, a small detail inside of Ingram Spark, um, which is a lightning source company uh, that does the print on demand and does the distribution to the bookstores. Um, and if it's not returnable, bookstores won't buy it. So when I was doing my book tour in Alberta, I didn't realize this and all my book my, all my bookstore signings got canceled because the bookstores couldn't order the books because they weren't returnable. Uh, and so that was a big mistake. It cost me distribution in Alberta. And then the second part of that was when I did make it returnable, I clicked uh, a box that said return to author because the other option was destroy. And the thought of my books going up in cinders was like, don't burn my babies. So I thought you should return them to the author, but I didn't realize that they were going to charge you, uh, you know, $6 per book shipping plus a refund fee and so it cost me almost as much for every book that got sent back to me as it would have cost if I bought them you know retail price from Amazon and that cost me $1,200 because I had a whole bunch of bookstore signings and you know they'd order 26 books and they didn't sell through 26 books and I had a whole bunch of books get returned at once and uh, yeah it was a big expensive lesson. Great those are great um, definitely great pieces of advice for people Thank you for that. How can a person shut off the inner critic when sitting down to write? <laughs> uh, if somebody knows, they can certainly let me know. <laughs> I think I think the best thing is you're not going to shut it off. I think you. I think it was actually Elizabeth Gilbert um, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Um, she. I think she's actually the one that said this. She's like. She's like. You know. You can hop in the back seat, but you're not driving. Is kind of how she describes. You know how she has these conversations with fear because she's like, I know I'm never getting you out of the car. So just come along for the ride, but you're not driving. Get in the back seat. And and that's really how I feel about it. Is you're you're never getting rid of the fear. Um, you know, but. It, and there's value in it. The value, you know, you let the fear question you every once in a while. Make sure that you're on the right path, but, you know, don't let the fear drive. And I think if you kind of use that imagery, I really like that description of, okay, you're a backseat driver. Uh, most of the time I'm going to ignore you, um, but, you know, I realize you're along for this ride whether I want you or not. I love that image. It's it's fabulous. It's fabulous. And I know it's true because recently I wrote a, I wrote a screenplay and I made a decision after I had my outline. I'm going to write this first draft without censorship. I'm not going to listen to that voice that says, uh-uh, the last five lines weren't that great. And I just barreled through. And at the end of about two weeks, I had a draft, a draft that I actually liked. And yeah, I did rewrite it, but I wouldn't have had that draft if I didn't take that advice. Exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's great stuff. That's wonderful. I love that. Yep. You can sit in the back, but you're not driving. <laughs> so I think you kind of answered this to how would a book, you did. How would it accelerate your journey to success? Well, mm -hmm. you said, you know, if you're thinking 10x, it's going to lead to many other things besides the actual sale of the book. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then position you as an expert in your field. Now, what difference has writing and selling your books made in your life? 
Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it's huge, huge. So as I mentioned, TV was one of the big things, was the media opportunities uh, suddenly appeared out of nowhere to the point where I started turning them down because everybody wanted me for the morning shows. It was really gross. I was like, can somebody please have me on a show that's at four in the afternoon instead of seven in the morning? But, <laughs> but yeah, it was the media was incredible. Speaking opportunities were tremendous. And people were suddenly, I was speaking before my book came out, but after my book, I suddenly had leverage power. I was able to negotiate, uh, you know, for them to pay me or to pay for uh, to pay for everybody in the audience to have a copy of my book or to pay for my travel and my hotel and all of these kind of things that before my book, it, it just wasn't there. Uh, and as I mentioned, my workshops filled with ease. But a bigger thing was I was able to use my books as currency. And what I mean by that was, uh, well, actually, I'll give an example. That's probably the easiest way to describe it. So uh, when I launched More Than Cashflow, uh, I wanted to get more exposure for the book, but I was also trying to figure out how to use it to leverage my business. And Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine uh, was looking for an incentive to people to subscribe to their magazine for two years or more. And what I ended up doing was partnering with them, and I gave them 500 books, which cost me $2,375. And in exchange, they gave me a bunch of advertising in their magazine and some booths at their uh, investor forum. Forum, which was a big national event that they held, and and some exposure inside of every single magazine as they promoted my book as the incentive to subscribe for two years or more. And so I basically got over $50,000 worth of exposure, uh, and I used a lot of it to promote my business, not promote my book. Uh, and so that's one way is to use that book to leverage uh, into other things because the book has tremendous value to other people. And so if you find those people that have the same audience as you without being a competitor, so in my case, that was real estate investors, newbie real estate investors, uh, you might be able to strike deals that do tremendous things for your business. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> I don't answer this question anymore because I have no idea. If I look back, and it's funny because I look back on my life and never at any point would I have said five years prior that I would be doing the things I'm doing or be the places I am. Like I, at five years ago, I never would have imagined that I'm living in LA running book launchers, but that's what I'm doing. Uh, so I think I don't want to put limits on myself because my the opportunities I'm open to by not saying here's where I'll be in five years has led to an adventure-filled, uh, exciting life, and I don't want to change that. Fantastic. It's a good answer. Now, besides your own, is there a favorite book that you recommend to people? Oh, it's tough because it always depends on what that person needs. Um, and so it's a hard generic question to answer because um, there's so many great books for so many reasons. But you know what? Since we mentioned it, there's two that I'll mention around writing. Um, uh, Elizabeth, Gil Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a book called Big Magic. It's a beautiful, wonderful book about being a creative person. And, and you know, like I said, I think in that book is where she says that quote about fear, you know, kind of get in the back. Uh, and then the other book is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's a short, easy read, and I highly recommend anybody who's creating anything read that book. Yeah, that, that one is recommended by a lot of people. The War of Art, Stephen, is it Stephen with a PH or is it? I'll find out. Yeah, it's Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N. Right, Pressfield. And Elizabeth Gilbert was, again, the title, please? Uh, Big Magic. Big Magic. And isn't she the one who wrote Eat, Pray, Love? Exactly, yeah. So this Wonderful. is, I think, her first nonfiction book um, that mm. she's ever written. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have a favorite quote? I have a quote of my own that I always use, which is called, the missing piece is always action. I love it. The missing piece is always action. Kind of like the, the stoplight analogy. I'm sure you've heard it because you've been to a lot. Sounds like you've been to a lot of events like I have. Um, but, you know, you, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you don't sit at home and wait until every light's going to be green. You just go and you deal with whatever traffic throws at you. And I think that's how you have to approach life is, is if you know you want to go somewhere, just start heading out and deal with whatever's thrown at you. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I love that it's your own quote. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. So, Julie, if you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh, that's incredibly challenging. Just one thing. Uh, I think I would make sure that everybody always had food and water. Hey, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, we live in such a privileged, you know, being in North America, we're so privileged that we can drink the water out of our tap. But when you leave North America, there's so many countries where you actually can't drink the water out of the tap or they don't even have tap, uh, tap water. So, you know, that I think is you know, the first thing to change is, is to make sure people have food and water. I agree. I mean, a country like Malawi... Uh, there are children who die because of um, the water that they drink is, is poisonous. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's actually a very, very good, a wonderful um, thought uh, for contribution. So how can people contact you? Uh, the best way is to go to booklaunchers.com. And either fill out one of the contact forms there or just sign up for our launch letter. And once you do that, uh, you can always hit reply and that goes straight to me. Uh, the other thing I pay really close attention to is any comments on our YouTube videos. So at booklaunchers.tv, uh, if you comment on anything on booklaunchers.tv, I almost always respond. And if you ask questions, I often shoot videos to answer those questions. Fantastic. And so people who have any questions about the value of writing a book, about how to write a book, etc., and how to get it out there, should be coming to you. Absolutely, yeah. And if, if I don't already have something to help you, I will create something. Fantastic. Do you have any final thoughts for our storytellers? Ooh, I think I'll just go back to my default quote, which is, the missing piece is always action. So if you know that this is something... Um, that you want to do, you you need to do it. Uh, it's just start, you know, really just start. You don't have to figure out all the pieces, um, but take that first step. And the next steps always become more obvious and more clear as you take each step. So uh, just get out there and do it. And if you want help and you want support creating a nonfiction book that will build your business and grow your brand, that's what we do. And I would be absolutely honored to chat with you and, and work with you. You know, I think there's a book. I think uh, the title is Nothing Happens Until Something Moves. And, and it has to do with that very idea that you, it's all about action, taking action. When you take action, no matter what it is, like Alex Mendozian says, let it be imperfect action, but take action. You will start to create a momentum and then things can change and grow from there. 
I want to thank you. You've delivered so much incredible value today, and uh, it was quite entertaining and fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It was absolutely my pleasure. Absolutely mine as well. Thank you again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Julie Broad. Wow. Julie gave me an exciting education, and I'm sure that many of you felt the same. There were things about the world of books and book publishing that I just, I had not a clue, and now I do. And, you know, it's, it's fabulous that the podcast was focusing a lot on the subject of books, This is the perfect time for you to take advantage of the offer from our sponsor, Audible. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and download one of the books that Julie mentioned on the show or pick one from 180,000 titles, one that that you've been thinking of reading, listening to, etc., and haven't done so far, you get it as an audiobook absolutely free and one month free trial of all of Audible's service. One book alone that uh, Julie mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And she said that that book changed her life. How did it change it? It gave her a different view of money and the world. And when she began to live into that view, she became enormously, independently successful. Wouldn't that be great for you, especially if you did it with a book that you got as a gift from Audible? Talking about gifts, please pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And yes, remember that at that podcast website, you will get a downloadable free ebook that I've created for you. Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. One of the main lessons that was driven home into my brain today and that I want you to think about during this next week is the question, who gives you permission to do the things that you desire? Does that sound like a strange question? Well, Think about how often there's something that you want to do, but in your mind, the story says, well, I can't do it because, and connected to that because is a list of names of other people that you feel obligated to, or that you feel that if you did this thing, if you achieved what you desired, you would be somehow offending them or hurting them. Many of us live our lives not giving ourselves permission first. We're looking for approval. If you're waiting for approval from outside sources, wow, that is a dangerous game to play because you're giving your own power away. A great mentor of mine, Les Brown, 
learned that lesson early in life, and it changed his entire life, when a teacher said to him, son, don't ever allow someone else's opinion of you to become your opinion of yourself. And he was referring to when Les said that he could not write on the blackboard because he was, quote unquote, the dumb twin. He wasn't dumb, but he, had, he believed that he was. And people were telling him that. And the teacher would not accept it and said, don't ever allow someone else's opinion of you become your opinion of yourself. At that moment, Les gave himself permission to be smart, and he went on to become one of the world's leading motivational speakers, enriching not only his life, but the lives of many other people. So, give yourself permission and begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.